WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Welcome back to Fall Semester with The Sci-Files. We've been gone for a little while, but we're back now. Today we're talking to two students that were part of iGEM, which stands for the International Genetic Engineered Machine. So this is an international competition that takes place in Paris this year. So teams are from around the world and they travel to showcase their synthetic biology project. Today we're talking to Anna Kim and Roxana Riddle about their research on bacteriophage as a plant control. Thanks for joining us today. May you both introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your project, please. Hi, thank you for having us on this show. My name is Anna Kim, and I'm a senior here at Michigan State University studying biology. Hi, I'm Roxana Riddle. I am also a senior, and I am studying genetics and genomics and biochemistry and biotechnology in the College of Natural Science. And to talk more about our project, we are trying to create a healthier alternative for pesticides. So we're using a virus to create an alternative biocontrol when it comes to treating viruses in plants such as Pseudomonas syringae. So right now, a lot of the bacteria control done for crops in order to prevent crop infections is done with antibiotic pesticides. And these can get into the surrounding soil microbiome and cause a lot of damage to the stuff that's naturally supposed to be there. It's nice to be back, and thank you so much for joining us. You said the scientific name for the plant that you're studying, but a lot of us aren't going to know what that is. Could you talk a little bit about what the common name is and why you're using that plant for your scientific studies? So actually, the scientific name we said was for Pseudomonas syringae. It is the model pathovar we are using, and it is the bacteria that infects a lot of plants. So for example, Pseudomonas infects tomato plants and causes bacterial speck disease, which causes thousands of dollars in damages each year to crops and is becoming increasingly antibiotic resistant. So Our phage therapy will likely treat a lot of crops. It also infects Arabidopsis leaves and various stone fruits. We had an episode about Arabidopsis about a year or two ago with a summer research student. Before we get started with this project, can you please explain to me what is a bacteriophage? Yeah, of course. A bacteriophage is a virus, and in this case, we are using environmentally obtained viruses, and we are infecting it into the Pseudomonas syringae bacterium, which is the disease that we want to get rid of in these plants. So bacteriophage in Latin literally means bacteria eater. So these are viruses that are highly specialized to target a specific strain of bacteria and reproduce within those bacteria, which in the process kills it. I have to imagine there are a number of different bacterial phages that exist out there. So how was this one identified to use for this specific application? So one of the issues that they face when using these in the field right now is that it's difficult to find the right phage to infect the bacteria that is attacking your crops. So what we did is we had cultures of our Pseudomonas syringae strain, and we got environmental soil samples basically isolated any viruses that might be in those samples and then spread them out on those bacteria cultures. And so any viruses that could infect them did, and that's how we found them. 
So we had our target Pseudomonas syringae that we wanted to infect. And so then we went into the environment and collected soil samples, isolated any viruses that might be in them, and then spread those isolates on the cultures of the bacteria we were trying to infect. And so any viruses in our samples that could have infected those bacteria did. And then we could see those infections as little clear spots on our bacterial lawns where the bacteria had been killed. Now, I know that methods can vary for viruses versus bacteria. Whenever you had these soil samples, how did you isolate the virus and keep it alive and then spread it onto the plant? Yeah, so we had to go through multiple rounds of purification, filtration, uh, because when we are collecting the samples from the environment, they do have dirt and soil and other debris. So we were in the lab for multiple weeks just filtering, purifying the phage samples that we had, and then doing something called efficiency of placking. So this is a procedure where we get to see the titer and to see the concentration of the samples that we from the environment. So in terms of how we kept them alive is while phages are incredibly fragile, what they do in the environment is infect bacteria. All we had to do was filter out the dirt and then add chloroform, which helps bind to the virus and brings it to the top. And so then we could get the virus out of that chloroform and just put it on the bacteria. And surprisingly, it does very well at just like doing an infection without any like extra keeping the virus alive. Yeah, so after the whole chloroform procedure, we stored them in our refrigerator, and from there, it is viable. Let's talk a little bit about how good this phage actually is. Is it able to eradicate entire bacteria populations? What is the efficiency of this phage? And then are the other phages that you looked at nearly as efficient, or is this one just so much better than the rest? So in terms of how efficient they are at killing the bacteria, one of the types of tests we did was we would start a culture of Pseudomonas in liquid king's broth. And then once it started to get cloudy, we would add in an amount of phage titer, right? We would time to see how quickly the bacterial culture cleared, which implied that all of the cells were dead and lysed. And we would also time or we would also test to see what minimum amount of phage we needed to add to that sample in order to prevent further growth. So occasionally we would add in phage and the bacteria would just keep growing and overwhelm it. But at around 30 milliliters of, I believe, around 10 to the ninth concentration of virus, whenever we would add that to the liquid sample, it would usually clear up within an hour or two. So those of you that don't work with bacterial culture, an easy way to know if the bacteria actually grew is if it's turbid and if it's cloudy. So another way that you can determine if the bacteria is still there is by plating it or by doing something like running it through a spectrometer. Did you do anything furthermore, such as plating it afterward? So after we did use the spectrometer to read the optical density, And what optical density is, how much light is absorbed through the solution. So the more turbid it is, the higher the optical density would be. And then we also measured the CFU, which is also known as the colony forming units. And this is the amount of cells that were in the sample that are viable in our case. And with the OD reading and the CFU, the colony forming unit count, 
we did a growth curve calculation to see the relationship between the optical density and the colony forming units. So what that means in terms of our clearing liquid cultures after adding the phage was we had a graph that showed the comparison between how turbid the culture was and then how many viable bacteria that means. So what we were looking for was how long it took for the bacterial culture to clear enough that there would be no viable colony forming units in it after adding in any phage titer. Yeah, so in terms of commercial phages, there's quite a few, and we don't have data on it. The main goal that we had was to diversify the library of phages there are out there and to begin working with improving them genetically, which was like the second part of our project. We found two species from the environment that we were working with and testing the capacities of. And after adding the titer to the turbid liquid cultures, one of our species would take about an hour to clear and the other one would usually take about two hours to clear. In terms of plated samples, when we would grow a bacterial lawn and then uh, spot out about five microliters of phage onto those lawns at various concentrations. One of our species would usually take about a day to form plaques, which were the cleared areas in the lawn. And the other species would usually take about two days to cause clear areas in the bacterial lawn on solid plates. That really clarifies it for me on how you're able to actually quantify the effectiveness of this phage. Now let's talk about the application of using the phage in the field. Is this something that would be sprayed onto plants as soon as they start to sprout so that way they can prevent the bacterial infections? What would that look like? So because this project is based on the iGEM criteria, we also have to keep safety in mind. So we can't just go out into a field and spray the phage onto the crops, but we do have to use an isolated greenhouse and start growing the plants um, and then we would be able to use our phage biocontrol onto these plants. But yeah, I think in this case, safety is number one. We can't just go out into a field because there are different types of viruses and other factors that we have to keep in mind. So keeping it in an isolated area where we can control the environment would be something that we could do. There are currently phage therapy trials going on in various fields. Specifically, some other researchers we talked to were using commercial phage in cherry fields in order to test their viability. And they actually had mixed results in terms of its effectiveness. And that's why the end goal of our project was actually to modify the phage in order to improve its effectiveness in the field. So in iGEM, the G stands for genetic. And I was actually going to ask you about how you're doing genetic modification. Are you allowed to tell us maybe more about how you're genetically modifying the phages? Yeah, so one of the biggest issues that they run into with field trials of phage therapy is that the UV radiation from the sun onto plant leaves very quickly damages the DNA of the phage and makes them non-viable for bacterial infection. So our goal was to find a way to improve the stability of the capsid protein of the phage in order to make it more resistant to UV radiation. So what the capsid protein is, is that is just the little triangle of protein that folds up to hide and protect the DNA of the virus. Yeah, so around the phage capsid, which is like the 
protected barrier around the DNA. So we were thinking about decorating it with GFP, which stands for green fluorescent protein. And this emits a green fluorescent color, which for us, we would be able to detect whether it's on the phage capsid or not. And we would do this using a system called the spy tag spy catcher complex. And in this case, the spy catcher GFP complex would show whether or not our phage capsid was decorated and had the UV protection it needs when it's in the environment. Now I'm understanding where the genetic engineering is coming in to play with this project. However, since you are modifying these phages, how do you know it won't impact the rest of the natural mycoflora? When it comes to the way that a bacteriophage infects a bacteria, it uses something called the tail fiber proteins. And those are what bind to the outside of a bacteria and then inject the DNA the bacteriophage for infecting its given strain of bacteria. There's a lot of research going on to modify them to be more broad in the host range that they can do, but that's not what we're focusing on. We're focusing on improving the stability of the phage so that it can better live in high UV environments. So ideally, in terms of field applications, this would just make the virus more long-lived rather than cause it to start infecting things that it shouldn't. In addition, we were using a program from the University of California, San Francisco. They created a program called Chimera. And with this program, we were able to play around with the different modifications that we wanted to look at. So we were playing around with this program to see whether our spy tag GFP complex would stick on our phage capsid. So we were checking and then confirming that we are able to decorate our phage capsid. So can you tell me more about the spy tag and the spy catcher system? It sounds really cool. Yeah, so the spy tag is a protein peptide that our modification adds to the outside of the viral capsid protein, and all it does is it juts outward. Now, there's a system called the spy catcher, and what that can do is it will come along and it will bind to the spy tag alongside whatever else is attached to the spy catcher. So this allows us to do a lot of experiments with testing what will improve UV resistance because all we have to do is make one genetic modification to the phage, adding the spy tag, and then we can change out which spy catcher molecule we use in order to try a broad range of techniques to improve stability. In a simpler term, I think it's easier to think about it like Legos. There are, the spy tag is a certain Lego piece, and then we have a green Lego, which is the GFP, and then the spy catcher system, which is another piece of Lego. And all those fit together onto the phage capsid to create the UV resistance that we are looking for on our phage. I appreciate that analogy you used for the spy tag on how it's comparable to like using Legos and building on Lego blocks. Let's talk a little bit about the competition now. Since it is an international competition, do you have to go through a regional competition here in the United States first in order to advance to the next level, or does everybody go to Paris? No, we did not have to go to any regional competitions. However, for our benefit, we went to the Midshire, which was here at Michigan State University in July, and we presented to different group, anyone that was, it was free to the public. So 
anyone that was in the STEM building during July was able to come and visit our poster presentation while we were there. So when we actually do go to Paris, though, we are going to be setting up in this giant conference hall. And what we're actually judged off of is our website. So we actually have a website that's a work in progress right now, but it contains everything about our project from the people we've talked to who have helped us to, you know, all of our planning and issues we've come across along the way and all of the experiments that we've done. And so the judges are going to be looking through our website, looking to see if it meets certain criteria. And there's a certain amount of things that we have to tick in terms of boxes in order to qualify for any medals. So we're going for gold this year. We're pretty hopeful about it, and that's how it's going to go. Hopefully, we're going to get to walk around and see a lot of other people's projects and websites and posters that they set up, too. That's really exciting. I'm really glad that you're getting to go to Paris, and I hope that you all do get to win the gold. Thank you so much for joining us today, Anna and Roxy. Good luck on your competition. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.